think there's two tracks that people wind up on. I think there is the lifestyle track where the idea is to maximize revenue with minimum work. And then there's the growth track, which is to build something that you're willing to work and invest in and maybe only work 40 hours a week. That's perfectly fine. I'm not saying you have to work crazy hours, but you're trying to build something worth millions or tens of millions of dollars. Just between you and me, this is Startups for the Rest of Us. It's episode 565, where I'm going to answer some listener questions. And I'm going to be honest, I had a guest lined up to answer the questions with me. They had to cancel for a very legitimate reason. I was going to try to rebook someone, but my editor's going out of town for a couple days. And in order to get this to you on Tuesday morning, like we have every week for, well, going on 11 years now, I believe. No, we're past 11 years. Going on 12 years. I have to record another solo episode. So this is going to be a listener question episode, which is good because we are way backed up, as I said on the last one. And of course, you can send in a voicemail by emailing questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. You can put a Google Drive link or a Dropbox link, or you can head to startupsfortherestofus.com. There is a ask a question link in the top nav, and we have video ask set up now where directly from your phone or a computer, you can read a voicemail or just record a video that gets sent directly to me. Before I dive into the questions, I wanted to let you know that there are still tickets available for MicroConf local in Portland, in Austin and Boston. I'm going to be at those three events and then in Croatia the week after. So I uh, would love to see you there. The local tickets are about, I think, $130 now. And so it's it's an easy way to come to a MicroConf. It's only a six-hour event and we're, we're making these one-day local events and trying to bring more MicroConf to more people. The other thing I wanted to talk about is a tweet that I sent out today as of, as I'm recording this. And this is regarding a podcast I was listening to last week. But to quote my tweet, I heard a podcast host talking about successful people throughout history. One sentiment was those folks didn't eat very often. It's an interesting fact, maybe true, maybe not. But do you think that has anything to do with their success? Then I go on in a subsequent tweet. Using the same brand of typewriter Hemingway used will not make you a great writer. Based on the successful people I know, my assertion is that their quirks are their quirks, but the secrets to their success usually come down to a combination of hard work, luck, and skill. And then later on in the conversation, I think I actually pointed out that, you know, some people ascribe Steve Jobs' success to, or, you know, his ability to build great products were his, uh, his ability to stare at people with his eyes open and wear black turtlenecks and be barefoot and vegan. And I don't know, this, this is the cargo cult thing. If you have never heard that phrase, you should Google it because it's a fascinating story of how that phrase came about. But cargo cult is when you see results and you assume the inputs are something, but they're actually not. There's no causation, even though there might be correlation between the two. And there's a really good article that Manuel Figuero posted in the the response thread. It looks like he wrote it back in 2018. And the title is One Simple Rule to Figure Out Which Advice You Should Follow, How to Separate Correlation from Causation. And it's basically a couple thousand word essay just walking through that humans are hardwired to seek causation, like you're not Elon Musk, uh, how not to be stupid. It goes to that that quote from Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett where they say, it's remarkable how much long-term advantage people like us have gotten by trying to be consistently not stupid instead of trying to be very intelligent. So it's a good article. And I I think just as a reminder, you know, I have tended to see this, it's not always, but I've tended to see it in kind of the hustle culture where people are trying to over-optimize, I would say, their 
their inputs or over-optimize their routine because Tim Ferriss does XYZ and he drinks this brand of coffee. And someone gets up at 5 a.m. and they do this routine and Seth Godin writes using this word processing software. And while those things, look, they're interesting tidbits, they're interesting facts, they're fun to learn. And if you're doing it for entertainment, do it for entertainment. But if you really want to know what makes people successful, usually it's the fact that they work their ass off that they build up skills over time, that they push a snowball up a hill until it gets big and rolls down the other side. It's that they, they invest years and years and, and some get a little lucky, right? It comes down to hard work, luck, and skill as, as these fundamental attributes. We don't want to hear that. It's like when I say, oh, I'm getting fat and someone says, oh, you need to work out and eat less sugar. I don't actually want to hear that. What I want to hear is some secret tidbit about how this person lost weight, you know, eating the ice cream diet. And I think we fool ourselves often times into thinking, well, I can be as successful as that person, whether it's looking back at industrialists and tycoons from last century, whether it's looking at tech magnets from the past 20 or 30 years, or whether it's looking at you know personalities like Tim Ferriss or Seth Godin, who, whom I've already mentioned, and trying to look at the little quirks they have or the little things they do and trying to correlate that or make it in our minds, make it a cause of their success when, in fact... My assertion is it's not. So that's both, I think, a reminder to myself, but also to you as a listener. So let's dive into listener questions today. First question is a video from John Doherty. John Doherty, founder and CEO of Credo Here, where we help companies find and hire the right pre-vetted digital marketing agency for their needs at getcredo.com. Um, so my question for you, Rob, is about focus. Um, so Credo has done well over the course of the pandemic. We've about doubled uh, revenue and we have a team of about six, kind of six core people, not everyone full time, but working on the business every single week. Um, I have a business partner in the business and he also owns another company. He got involved with Credo around the time, about half of where we were, where we currently are in revenue. Um, and his business is currently um, about there and I'm starting to get involved in that. Um, he and I do have a, a, a parent company that we're 50-50 partners in um, as well. We've worked together for about four years now. But my question is really about focus. And when do you counsel founders that, uh, you know, just to focus down on one core thing or kind of the idea of working on multiple products at the same time? So instead of one business becoming, say, a $2 million a year business, have four businesses that between them become that or two or three or whatever, just not uh, just not one. So I'm curious as to what you would kind of counsel someone in our position to do there. And then also if I can sneak in one other question question. I own an affiliate site um, in a completely unrelated industry um, in the outdoors, uh, outdoor gear space. And it's just completely outside of what I normally do, right? Two-sided businesses, which I'm good at starting and growing, et cetera. And so it's, it does uh, about, I don't know, $1,000, $2,000 a year in revenue. And I've been thinking about selling that. And so I'm curious as to your, you know, kind of thinking, uh, kind of going in with like the multi-product, you know, strategy, um, would you basically recommend selling that? Um, and how, if you were me, how would you think through that? Thank you, Rob. As always, love the show. Thank you for MicroConf and uh, appreciate your advice. Thanks for those questions, John. John and I have met in person at a few microconfs. He's at getcredo.com if you want to find out what he's up to. The first question is about focus. And to be honest, I think there's two tracks that people wind up on. I think there is the lifestyle track where the idea is to maximize revenue with minimum work. And then there's the growth track, which is to build something that you're willing to 
work and invest in, and maybe you only work 40 hours a week, that's perfectly fine. I'm not saying you have to work crazy hours, but you're trying to build something worth millions or tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions, frankly. And I'm just talking in the, like, in the kind of bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped space. I mean, we can get into the idea of taking over the world with our software and building Facebook or Google, but that, I'm not even going to address that here because that's not, not relevant to any of us. And of course, there's more nuance than I'm giving it here, but realizing that being on the four-hour workweek track is where I was from 2000, well, I was aspiring to be that from 2006. I achieved it in right around 2008, 2009, and then I got off that track when I decided to build Drip in 2012. And I loved it while it lasted. There were multiple years when I worked 10, 12 hours a week and made $150,000 a year. Some years, 200. Some years it was 100. But it was certainly enough to support our family, make our house payment and live in, you know, at the time it was Boston and then Fresno, California. And those are great days. I have fond memories of them. But I do remember personally for me, I was getting bored, I was getting restless, and I wanted to do something bigger. You know, after three, four years of kind of working part-time, I kept saying to myself, what's next? Because I'm an ambitious person. And that's where the ambitious startup, the ambitious bootstrap startup comes from at the beginning of a lot of these episodes when I talk about that. So all that to say, with those kind of two frames in mind of going from making, let's say, a, you know, a few hundred thousand a year, or making maybe you're making half a million, or maybe even you're making a million a year and most of it's profit, and you're not working that much. Like, that's a great life. I also think that is akin to retiring, which for many people... If you don't fill your time with something else, then you either get bored or you just wind up watching a bunch of TV or you know doing something else. If you can fill it with family or other things, that's great. And I do know some entrepreneurs who have done that for an, an extended period of time. And, and I think that's great. I think it depends on your personality a lot. And then for others, like the growth trajectory of, hey, I want to build a business. I want to do it as quickly as possible. I want to build something to one, five, 10 million in annual recurring revenue that is then worth six, 30, 50 million dollars. And maybe I sell it, maybe I don't, maybe I just make it profitable, or maybe I have a life-changing exit and then realize, well, now I can make even bigger bets. So again, those I think are the two paths. I think if you want to go down that growth path and you want to build something big and that's your desire, then my opinion, you need to, you need to focus. But there are honestly ways around that a little bit. If you can hire senior people that are expensive, uh, meaning they have high salaries and they kind of run the company for you, in which case you've almost stepped back and become an investor or an advisor. But if you're working day to day or week to week in a business, setting direction, setting strategy, and even you know getting involved to push things forward, in my opinion, if you want to grow, you should focus your energy in one place. And if someone might ask me, well, Rob, you have a podcast. You have microconf and you have tiny seat. That seems like a lack of focus. I would say two things to that. Number one is we have really good people, very senior people who basically head up microconf and tiny seed. You've heard them both on this podcast. You've you've met them at microconf. So producer Xander and Tracy Osborne essentially are the folks driving those two businesses forward. And, and while I'm obviously more of an advisor, I'm more involved than someone who is just on the outside, those three things that I work on are essentially in the same ecosystem, right? MicroConf is the community that sprang out of this podcast. It's the same audience, same focus, and they feed. People come to the podcast and then find out about MicroConf. People come to, the, to MicroConf and then find out about the podcast. And people come to MicroConf, learn about Tiny Seed. I mean, Tiny Seed is essentially the fund we launched out of MicroConf, seeing the need for bootstrappers who wanted to raise a small amount of funding who didn't want to go the venture route. It really, if you think about it, it really is one company with one mission 
but there are just separate, you know, there's separate parts to it that I'm involved in. So I would actually say my focus these days is more on a single goal and mission than it ever has been in the past. Back when I was running Drip, had a blog, had Hittail at the time, had MicroConf and the podcast, switching context from running Drip as kind of CEO, hiring, driving things forward, building a SaaS product, back to you know, the microconf mindset of building a community and talking to other entrepreneurs was difficult. And these days I don't have that. So all that to say, John, if your goal is to build something into the millions and it's that more of that growth path, I would say focus is critical. But you can also build, if you if you are on that lifestyle spot and you want to get to 2 million in ARR across three companies or four companies, and they're kind of on autopilot. You know, I mean, I guess that's the other thing I'll say is I see folks think that they can grow multiple companies or multiple products at once. I've never been able to do that. I've been able to grow one and then autopilot it in the sense of, hey, it's SEO, it's a flywheel, the funnel's in place, it's self-serve, it's doing 20, 30 grand a month, and I don't really have to do much work on it. That is the point where I can then shift my focus and work on something else, because my focus at that point is all really on one thing, it's on the new thing. But what happens is you can't have autopilot businesses that are autopilot forever, because eventually Google smacks you down, you get some competitors, you have server outages, code needs to be rewritten, something happens every, I'll say, six to 18 months that derails it. Someone quits, maybe you are maybe you have a team of two or three that are running it, one of them quits, and now you're pulled back into that when your focus is on this new thing. And that's the trap of thinking that you can have multiple business. It's like spinning plates. One of them's going to fall eventually, and are you in a position at that point to turn your focus back. Case in point, Hittay was doing close to $400,000 a year in, in annual recurring revenue with very little expense. So all of it was going essentially to my bottom line. And I was using that to, to fund Drip. Drip starts growing, starts growing. It becomes um, successful. It was also stressful and a lot of work. And then Google changed some API that basically broke Hittail. So I had to shift my focus back and try to repair it. And it took up a ton of time and effort. And that was the moment. It was in early 2015, I believe, where I said, I'm done with this and I need to sell this app. I have to get it off my plate. And so I think, you know, to your point, John, you have an app doing, I think you said it was $2,000 a year. Whether it's a month or a year, both of those are small, relatively small numbers uh, in the scheme of things. In your shoes, if it's a hobby, if it's something you want to do on the weekend, if it's a little site that you write content for, maybe you've hooked into an API and you do stuff and it's fun and you really want to do it and you'd rather spend that time than watching Netflix or going paddleboarding or you know hanging out with your with your family if you have one, then cool, it's a hobby. But if you have this thing that's making a little bit of money and it's going to take your focus away from your other bigger drivers where you, I think you have more leverage personally, I would sell that. Right. And at that small revenue amount, I, I believe you're going to have to probably find a buyer privately through like MicroConf Connect would be an example, or through a site like MicroAcquire. The founder, Andrew Gazdecki, was on this podcast just a few weeks ago. If it's only doing two grand a year, I don't know of a broker who would uh, who'd be able to help you with with it. If it's two grand a month, then someone like Quiet Light Brokerage, you know, would be, I think, uh, your best bet there. So good questions, John. I mean, these are questions I have asked myself and I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs ask themselves over the years. So thanks for that. Our next question is from Davis Bear, and it's about sharing your revenue with new employees. Hey, Rob. Uh, my co-founder and I are probably going to be hiring someone in the near future. It's going to be our first hire. I was just wondering, when you hired in the past, would you share financial metrics like MRR with employees or would you keep that just between 
you and, and your co-founder. I'm just curious to hear what other people do in this situation. That's a good question, Davis. And I think the way I would do it is the way that I did it with Drip, to be honest. It felt weird to me to not share MRR. MRR was, was our KPI, right? It was the key performance indicator that drove the business. And if MRR was growing, then the business was successful, I'll say. I mean, that was the number one. And of course, everything flows out of, of MRR. I want to be clear, obviously, happy customers, happy employees, there's a bunch of stakeholders. But just if you were to boil it down to one number, to me, it is MRR. It tells so much about your market share, about your enterprise value, if you were to sell the company, about how much profit you could potentially have, all these things. So everything flows from MRR then. It's right, like the lower your churn, the faster your MRR is going to grow. And without telling, let's say, my marketers or my customer success people or even my developers where we were, it would have felt weird. I think people will likely, if they're working for you and they don't know your MRR, will probably think it's a lot more than it is. And that can sometimes lead to issues in terms of why am I not getting paid more? Why are we so stingy you know, with our Amazon hosting? Or why are we not paying more for XYZ service? Why don't we have better benefits or whatever? Versus if they start and it's like, yeah, we make 30 grand a month and you can do the math here. There's four of us. We're pretty much at break even, which is in essence what I would tell every employee I would hire at Drip, obviously before we were acquired, because once we were acquired, we were venture backed in essence. But I would tell them, you know, you're going to learn what our monthly recurring revenue is. I'm going to let you know that we spend all of that every month, sometimes more to grow this company. So what I was trying to do was level set. You see that number that's 40 grand, 60 grand, you know, 100 grand, whatever a month that is not going into my personal bank account. This business is in essence a growth business and growth costs money. Fast growing businesses are rarely, if ever, profitable. And so in my opinion, I think since MRR and MRR growth is that that pinnacle KPI and everything else feeds from that, you know, in terms of number of trials, trial to paid conversion rate, you know, average revenue per user churn, just everything flows from that. In my opinion, it's it'd be tough to have a company where the revenue is not not communicated. And we we had an admin dashboard built into the app, into the Rails app that showed all of our numbers in real time in essence. And it was not just showing the revenue, but it was showing how many trials were in the pipeline, what the current, I think it was the last week or last 30 days trial to paid conversion rate had been. It was all this stuff. It was our pulse on what the business was doing. And if we had to, you know, again, hide some of those, I think it would it would be just kind of odd. And then, you know, post-acquisition, when the company grew from the 10 we were at during acquisition up to 100 and, I don't know, 100, 120, by the time that, that I left, we had a monitor with all our key performance indicators of the company. And, you know, that was a much larger team. It was a venture-backed team. And there was a monitor in the office that showed all these metrics. And some of them were metrics like number of emails sent and total number of customers, number of trials, whatever. But the revenue was visible for everyone to see because, again, that was such a North Star metric. So those are my thoughts on that. Thanks for the question, Davis. I hope that's helpful. Our next question is from Matthew. And this one is a voicemail, but, you know, again, still goes to the top of the stack. And then if we have time, I will dig into some text questions after that. Hi, Rob. You may not be the right person to ask because you seem so driven, but I'm wondering if you have any advice for folks who struggle with motivation and consistency. I'm a bit of an all-rounder when it comes to UX design and full-stack web development, and I have several ideas for apps to serve the industry I've been a part of for the past 11 years. I think my biggest problem is consistency. I've got a long history of enthusiastically starting projects, making good early progress, learning lots, and then losing interest before I ship anything. I've tried various strategies to overcome these tendencies, including shrinking the scope, trying to do a little bit every day, or making public commitments. 
So far, nothing has worked. And each time I feel like even more of a failure. I'm starting to wonder if it would be healthier for me to let go of the dream of building a small, sustainable software business and instead find a team I'm happy to be part of. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Matt. I think almost without exception, everyone suffers from this at some point or another. And I think some of us struggle with it more often and more consistently. And I think there are probably some people out there, maybe Elon Musk, you know, who who never struggles with this. But I think most of us do. And I absolutely have. And do I have unfinished projects sitting on my hard drive? Like the book I started talking about nine or 10 months ago that I'm in the exact same boat as you are, Matt, where I have gotten to a certain point and just got stalled. And it's not a lack of interest. It's a lack of focus. And there's some hard parts to be written. There's, there's excuses, right? It comes down to procrastination, at least in my case. You and I are obviously in different places in our career. You know, you're, you're trying to launch your, your first app. I imagine there's a lot of doubt as to whether something can even work, if this thing is for you, if you have what it takes. I mean, these are the thoughts that I had when I was in your shoes. And so I want to speak to your situation rather than going into how I'm thinking about it day to day or how I you know, will eventually get over, the, get over the hump with these projects I'm working on. In your shoes, I think you need a win. I think you need to launch something and get that positive feedback loop. And that something maybe is a free course or it's a free email newsletter or maybe it's a paid course that's quick to produce and doesn't cost a lot. Maybe it's an ebook that you write. You know, what are your areas of expertise that you could potentially spend 8, 15, 25 hours on and have something that is shippable? And again, maybe you charge for it, maybe it's free, but you get something out in public and you get past the terror of firsts, right? This concept of the first time you do anything, it's going to scare the shit out of you. First time you publish a blog post, the hair's going to stand up on the back of your neck. The 10th time, you're just going to you're going to be over it. First time you record a podcast, it's going to be terrifying. And the 565th episode you record, you're just going to be talking very naturally to the camera like you're talking to your best friend. First time you speak on stage, first time you ship a product into the wild, first time you push a landing page marketing something live, the first time you make it to the top of Hacker News. All these things are super scary and exhilarating the first time they happen. And the more positive feedback you receive from those where you make it to the top of Product Hunt, you sell $500 worth of a course, you get a thousand downloads of that free ebook that you put out and people email you saying, this is amazing. Thank you so much. I'd love to see your next ebook. That positive feedback loop is what you can then build on. That's the snowball that you add on to over time and you compound it. And that motivation builds but if you're trying to, to build something huge and it's hundreds of hours sitting in a basement or nights and weekends coding a SaaS app, I think there's an easier way. And whether you follow the stair-step approach to bootstrapping directly where, where you are launching a pretty simple product with one marketing channel and maybe it's, maybe it's a Shopify plugin, maybe it's an ebook, like I said, maybe it's a course, maybe it's a WordPress plugin, you know, an add-on to some ecosystem, or whether just in your head you're trying to get something out into the wild, doing things in public creates opportunity. And what I think you'll find is the more things that you ship, more high quality things you ship, the more people will take notice. And to be honest, the worst part of shipping something, well, there's a couple worst parts. One is it's scary, but 
the the worst result is not that someone doesn't like it, it's that no one cares. And that's actually the most likely occurrence. The first several things I ever launched into the world, the first several essays, the pieces of software, the websites, no one cared. And it was frustrating because it felt like a waste of time. And I had major imposter syndrome of, is this even possible? Because back in, what, 2002, when I started launching these, there was no model for this, right? There was no model. You you took venture funding if you want to do anything on the web. And I didn't know of anyone who was just trying to write software and sell it and just build a real business selling a real product to real customers. So at least you know that part's not true. It is possible. You know, you see it, right? You see it with guests on this podcast. You've seen it with what I've done. You see it with the microconf videos. You see it if you've been in microconf connect or if if you're just paying attention to the the bootstrapped and mostly bootstrap community. You know this is possible. So then the next question is, can you do it? And my guess is you can because I see a lot of people with a lot of different skill sets come at this a lot of different ways and achieve success. So this is a really good question, Matt, and I think a lot of people likely struggle with it. And again, I struggle with it from time to time on specific things. And before I wrap this question up, there are other ways around this, and it's to have accountability, like to be in a mastermind. It's to have a co-founder. It's to have some external force that you have to report to on a daily or a weekly basis that drives you to keep going. Maybe that works for you, maybe it doesn't. I know some people, accountability just is just, eh, it doesn't matter to me. So you have to kind of know yourself in terms of whether that's going to motivate you or not. But I definitely know folks who don't work out when they're on their own and when they go to a gym, they work out really hard because there's that social interaction. I know founders who have a tough time shipping until they're in a mastermind group or until they have a co-founder and then they're pushed and motivated by that. So thanks so much for that question, Matt. I hope it's helpful. That's it for this week's episode. We didn't get to the written questions, but definitely circle back here in the next month or so. And I will do my best to have a guest on to share their insights as well. But these are some really good questions and questions that I don't think have ever been asked on this podcast before. So I appreciate everyone who sent theirs in. And again, you can email questions at Startups for the Rest of Us, put a Dropbox or a Google Drive file in there, or head to our video ask form, startupsforrestofus.com. Look for the Ask a Question link in the top nav. Hope this week is treating you well on your entrepreneurial journey. And I'll be back in your ears again next Tuesday morning.